Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, you're going to love this verse because I know you know it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I think I learned that verse a long time ago. You'd think I'd be able to spit it out better if I learned it so long ago, but it's a great verse. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I know we need some land healing in our country today. I know the world is a little nuts. Good news is God is sovereign and in control. But in the meantime, I'd like to find out what's going on in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Rob Louie is my correspondent. He's my go-to guy. He's also the executive editor of at the Daily Signal. You can always head over to dailysignal.com. Rob, welcome once again. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be back. Yeah. Lots to talk about. Um, let's start with the uh, the President Biden and his infrastructure tour that he's kind of working on right now. That's right. Well, last week, President Biden went before the American people in a joint session of Congress, and this was a big part of his sales pitch, a total of $6 trillion. Bill, I feel like you and I talk every week about the <laughs> vast amount of money that's coming mm-hmm. out of Washington, and, and my oh my, I mean, is, is there going to be any stop to it? I don't know where all this money is coming from, but uh, there was a total, uh, we've already spent uh, under, under Biden $2 trillion uh, with, uh, with regard to the American Rescue Plan, and now he has a jobs plan and he has a families plan, and we can get to both of those. Uh, the jobs plan is really what's focused on infrastructure. Unfortunately, and this is where some Republicans are, are starting to you know, say, hey, what are you trying to pull on us here? Uh, less than 5% of the, the infrastructure bill is actually focused on roads and bridges. There's a lot of other things in there with regard to health care and, and all aspects of society. And so I think that, um, that, that you know, it's, a, it's a, maybe a savvy political move to frame it in the context of infrastructure because that's something that has, you know, generally bipartisan appeal, and Congress has come together in the past to work on those types of plans. But, yeah, this, uh, this one I think is going to have a harder time getting through because Republicans already have signaled that they're not going to be uh, signing up to support it, unless the president's willing to maybe negotiate and bring the price tag down. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at some of the stats of his uh, speech, it looked like uh, Bill Clinton in his final address had 31 million viewers. President Obama in 2013 had 33 million viewers. Uh, Donald Trump in 2017 had 48 million viewers. Uh, Trump in 18 had 46 million, 19, 46 million, and President Biden at 26 million at his address. Uh, why, why the drop off in numbers? Any idea? A couple of thoughts here. So, so number one, this wasn't, this didn't get the full billing as a State of the Union because gotcha. it wasn't officially a State gotcha. of the Union. Okay. It was 
uh, it was a joint address to Congress. And, and that's what a president typically does in their first year, um, because as the Constitution spells out, they give the State of the Union in, in the other years. So maybe that was part of it, although, you're, you know, all of the networks still covered it. Um, there, there was significant drop off on Fox News compared to, to oh, the sure. Trump year. Sure. So what it, I think I read that it went from about 11 million down to 2 million. So, I mean, there you go right there. There's a, there's a big chunk of, uh, of Americans who just didn't uh, tune in and watch something else that evening. But I also think it has something to do with President Biden and his speaking style. He's not the entertainer that some of those other names you mentioned were. I mean, uh, Obama was able to uh, really give a captivating speech. There was a lot of interest and excitement about what he was going to say. Of course, uh, President Trump was known for the surprises. I think back to uh, his awarding Rush Limbaugh the um, uh, the medal at last year's uh, State of the Union address and those kind of unexpected moments. You just never knew what you were going to get with, with President Trump. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about uh, last, uh, last week's speech was that there was actually more people talking, it seemed, about Tim Scott, and they were still talking about Tim Scott and his, his response. He's, of course, the Republican senator from South Carolina. Bill, I don't remember for as long as I've been in covering Washington – uh, the vice president, the president, uh, leaders of the House, all being asked to respond to Tim Scott and his message that America is not a racist country. But that's exactly what happened in the days following uh, his his Republican rebuttal. So obviously, I think that that's probably not exactly the way that the White House uh, wanted things to go. Um, but uh, but Biden did his job. He got he he delivered the policy proposals and it spelled them out. It just wasn't the captivating moment that I think many people uh, had come to expect from a previous president. Mm-hmm. Tim Scott got some criticism from somebody, and I don't know what his name was, but I think that person has since uh, resigned today. Yes. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. There. Well, the the criticism that the Tim Scott received was. Um, was significant uh, uh-huh. on, on the on the left, um, and some of it, I think, uh, unfortunate. Um, people uh, took issue with with the line that I mentioned: "America is not a racist country." Of course, in the days that followed, both our Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and our President Joe Biden came out and, and affirmed that themselves. Uh, as did some uh, some prominent other leaders in Congress. So those who were quick to react, this is the problem that <laughs> that I think we sometimes have with social media. People are so quick to to state their opinion uh, before taking a breath and thinking about it and, and hitting that publish button. And when it becomes permanent, you're absolutely right; it has consequences. We've seen this, regardless of your your political views. I think it probably does happen more on the right than the left. Um, but uh, but the bill, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. And and look, tomorrow we have uh, is going to be a consequential day. We will find out at 9 a.m. Eastern time if President Trump is allowed back on Facebook and Instagram. And you better believe there's going to be big debates about whether that's a good move or a bad move. And so uh, it seems that everything about our lives uh, revolves around social media these days. And I think it's important to take a step back, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, take some some time to think about what you really want to say because it can have a lasting impact for sure. Well, Rob, here's a dumb question. If President Trump is allowed back on Facebook, will he want to post? I I think he will. Uh, I am on President Trump's email list right now, and the frequency of the comments that he's making has has increased uh, dramatically in, uh, in the time that he's been out of office. It went from 
pretty sporadic to now multiple times per day. Okay. Uh, we're, we're getting we're getting messages. These are everything from uh, political endorsements that he's making to just comments that you would typically read uh, when he had a Twitter feed, and he was he was commenting on on the news media or various other things uh, happening in the world. And so I think he I think he wants a platform to be able to speak his mind. Uh, I you know it's interesting because as as the democratically elected president, um, he is certainly somebody who. I personally believe should have a platform. You may disagree with him and you may disagree the tone he uses, but I think if these all these platforms like Facebook and Instagram are going to allow leaders of communist countries or dictatorial regimes to have access to their platforms, they should certainly let the former president of the United States uh, have the opportunity to, to, to speak uh, as well. And uh, it's, it's anyone's guess what the oversight board uh, will decide tomorrow. Facebook has said, has said it will follow the oversight board's guidance. The oversight board is an independent body uh, from Facebook. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's you know, see, keep our you know, ears tuned to, to what happens tomorrow morning, Bill, and, uh, and hope they err on the side of free speech. Yeah. Rob, a, a listener chimed in to what we were previously talking about relative to the viewership of the uh, – address that President Biden gave, and he commented, could it be that his policies are unpopular? And of course, probably for a lot of uh, Fox viewers, they would consider those unpopular. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. They, they would be. Some of, the po- some of the policies, um, you know, differ uh, in, in popularity. The American Rescue Plan, uh, of course, uh, in some quarters, even in Republican or conservative circles, I think there were aspects of it that were popular. Uh, some of those policies were very similar to policies that Donald Trump pursued in the White House. I mean, Donald Trump, uh, under his presidency and Congress's direction, issued direct payments to the American people. Joe Biden did the same. You know, so it's not that there was a whole lot of difference. And anytime you're giving people money, <laughs> Bill, I, I don't know. I, I, there's probably a small segment, a relatively small segment, that uh, would would say, "No, thank you. <laughs> I, I disagree. Don't give me the money." Right. Um, So those types of policies tend to be more popular. There are other things that I think the president wants to do, which uh, which concern me and I think concern a a fairly large segment of the population. And I think it comes down to particularly with his American Families Plan, uh, taking more control away from parents and giving it to government. And and I I have a significant, you know, serious problem with that as a parent myself and somebody who. Uh, cares about my family being in charge of their own destiny and not letting the government dictate it. I am concerned about um, the government intruding into our lives, as would happen if uh, some of these policies uh, come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's talk about uh, the CDC mask update. Uh, it seems that there are mixed messages out there. Get a vaccine, but keep your mask on. And then you see President Biden wearing a mask on a Zoom call, but not wearing a mask, visiting 96-year-old uh, Jimmy Carter with his wife. Uh, that's that's right. Yeah, there 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 are certainly um, differences. Uh, let's let's start by saying, as we've talked about now for for a year, you know, states are, are are making these decisions on their own. So yes, there is CDC guidance, but uh, of course, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida rescinded all of the COVID restrictions that were in place in that state. And yet here uh, I'm talking to you from Washington, D.C. today, and the the mayor of Washington (laughs) continues to have very restrictive uh, policies in place. Uh, 
mask mandates, um, as well as uh, the, the new one was uh, you can now have a wedding, but you have to stay seated. <laughs> you can't mingle or dance or do other things. I mean, why would anybody want to go to a wedding like that? I don't know. But, um, but Bill, yes, it is confusing to the American people, particularly because you hear folks uh, like, like President Biden uh, say, continue to wear your mask. And then when you know, he doesn't do it or when former President Carter doesn't do it, I think, yeah, you, you begin to, to question. Now, obviously, President Biden has been vaccinated. A large number of Americans have been vaccinated. And I think that this is where uh, people start to say, what's the purpose of having this, this massive push to get free vaccines in the, in, in the arms of so many Americans if we're not going to change our behaviors after mm-hmm. the fact? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and I'm one of those people who, who just says, when the guidance came out and said, you can now run without a mask, well, Bill, I <laughs> hope I don't get in trouble with the CDC police, but I've been running without a mask for the last <laughs> year. I mean, I just can't run with a mask. I, don't, I personally just find it very difficult. So, um, so I think that common sense needs to prevail here. And if you, uh, if you have a, a high number of people in your, in your state or your community who've been vaccinated, uh, all the more reason to, to, to get rid of these. That's exactly what the Florida governor said. Um, why are we making such a big effort to get vaccines if we're not ultimately going to, to go back to, uh, to the way things were and give people the freedom to make those choices on their own? You're lucky I don't live in your neighborhood, Rob, because I would do a citizen's arrest just like on Andy Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I... am not wearing uh, a mask. I... I, I, I uh, <laughs> I hope, Bill, that same same thing goes with with our kids at school. I mean, I know there's a lot of controversy about that. I think it was the New York Times that had a stat, stat this week that said that um, you know this is not a joking matter, but kids are more likely to be involved in a car accident on their way to school than they are to get COVID at school. Yeah. And so this is what I mean about just making sure. decisions that are based on science and data and common sense, as opposed to uh, being in a constant state of fear and worry and letting you know, governors or mayors in some cases uh, really dictate uh, what we can and can't do. And hopefully we're moving out of that phase and moving into a, uh, a more of a return to the way things were pre-COVID. Lots more to talk about with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal, when we come back. We'll be back in just a minute. With Rob Bluey, executive editor at the Daily Signal, my Washington D.C. correspondent. Rob, I'm curious uh, as we stay in the CDC department, what and how are they being influenced by teachers' unions on the reopening of schools? I'm glad you brought this up, Bill. I mean, this was a really interesting story reported by the New York Post, uh, showing that the American Federation of Teachers uh, pretty clearly had a seat at the table with the CDC in terms of influencing the decision about what it meant uh, for school reopenings. And uh, curiously, the timing uh, came just days before the CDC was about to make uh, an announcement on uh, school reopening guidelines. And so uh, this is not necessarily surprising that a lobbyist would be in contact with the government official and and trying to influence uh, policy. 
But I think what it what it shows is there's a real disconnect between uh, the big union bosses and in a, in a you know fancy Washington headquarters uh, versus the teachers who are out there you know doing their job on a day to day basis and struggling with some of the balance that they've they've had to to do even in my kids' own school. I mean we have students who are now back in the classroom four days a week. Uh, Monday is still given as a day for for teacher planning, uh, but even during those other four days. Uh, students, some students remain virtual. And uh, I think it's incredibly difficult for teachers to try to, to strike that balance. I think they've done it really well. But I don't think the unions necessarily always represent uh, the best interests of teachers. And, uh, and certainly we know that our students have, have struggled as a result of this. Mondays are a dreadful day in the Bluey household <laughs> because uh, the kids never have enough work to keep them busy. Uh, the parents, you know, have their own own work to do. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's great time that I, I really enjoy the time spending with my kids. But I mean, I'd much rather have them in a classroom learning and being able to experience that. And I, I've seen the impact directly on our family. Um, uh, they're starting the standardized tests in Virginia. And uh, my son, uh, asked me to uh, to opt him out of the the math test, which is an option they're they're giving because he didn't feel like he was prepared enough to take the test um, this year because they weren't able to cover all the subjects in class. So, Bill, it's uh, it's something that's having a real life implication, and I'm grateful, you know, to be um, to, to have a, a loving and supportive wife who's there. But I mean, I think about all the single parents who who struggle with balancing work and and virtual school and all those other things that come into play, and so. It's, uh, it's so important that we get the kids back, particularly, again, going back to what we talked about before the break, if the science is indicating that you can do this safely, I see no reason to hold back, uh, particularly when teachers in so many states were given the opportunity to have first dibs on the vaccine. Um, they, uh, you know, they had the opportunity to do that and hopefully took advantage. All right, Rob, let's stay with schools. How is uh, critical race theory being taught in public schools? Well, critical race theory is having an impact uh, in schools and government, uh, in corporations. I mean, we are seeing it all over the place. And critical race theory, just to, to back up for a moment, Bill, is was developed uh, back in the in you know a generation ago, 30 years ago, uh, in academia. And it really is this construct that it makes race the center of everything in, in our life and society. And it suggests that that racism is uh, is part of all of our lives, and, and privilege is part of all of our lives. So in some cases, it benefits people. In other cases, it hurts them. And, uh, and really, it's the counter to what I grew up uh, believing uh, and hearing from, from the likes of Martin Luther King and, um, and, and his, his famous speech in the March on Washington, you know, uh, where, where we're not going to be judged by the color of our skin, uh, you know, but the content of our character. Critical race theory rejects all of that, and uh, and what people are being forced to do now in schools, whether you're a student or a teacher, is to um, to rank yourself uh, in in, a, in in kind of a, a structure based on your class, your your skin color, uh, you know, uh, your, the the gender. You know, all of these things are now factors into. Uh, besides just teaching math and English and, and science and all the subjects, I mean, these are what students are now being subjected to. Teachers the same way. And we're seeing it in corporations. We're seeing government uh, agencies uh, forcing employees to, to participate in these types of trainings. And we've had a great, um, a great scholar working with us, Christopher Rufo, who I'm sure some of your, your listeners are familiar with, uh, doing investigative reports, trying to bring this to light and getting some of this. 
uh, on on uh, people's uh, minds because they might not realize they're walking into this or their kids are being subjected this, to this in school. And so, Bill, we you and I've talked about in the in the past the importance of parents taking an active role in their their kids uh, kids' education. And this is certainly something that uh, they should be paying attention to. And hopefully. Uh, it's not come to a school near you, but uh, but, but be mindful uh, that it's happening in a lot of places these days. Yeah, Rob, what did you think when you heard now uh, governor candidate Caitlyn Jenner say that uh, trans boys should not be competing against biological girls? Well, it, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Jenner is always somebody who is uh, prone to, you know, say controversial things and, and make news. So, um, you know, not necessarily surprised in that regard, Bill. But, I mean, I do think that this is one of those issues. Uh, I, have, I, I have, a you know, a, a daughter myself. And so I think about her in the context of, of what she might be doing in the future and the situation she might find herself in. Of course, the Daily Signal told the, the really uh, powerful story of Selena Soul, mm-hmm. the high school track athlete from Connecticut who's pursuing a case in, in court uh, because she uh, was, was beat out um, and, and didn't get a spot uh, as a result of, uh, of a trans individual taking that spot away from her. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly something that is going to have a significant impact on, on future generations, and I think that uh, we need to figure out um, uh, how best to do this. And right now, I'm not particularly confident that the courts have the right answer. And I certainly know that the politicians in Washington are not uh, necessarily paying as much uh, attention to it as they should. It certainly has your attention, though, when Caitlyn Jenner says yes. it as Bruce Jenner wins the Olympic gold decathlon in 76. I don't think there's anyone that knows better than Jenner. That's right. That's right. Uh, certainly, certainly is true, Bill. And, uh, and, you know, in, in that particular case, I think that, uh, you know, we've seen so much, so often the, the left uh, wants to dismiss uh, those who, who speak out on these issues. And it'll be interesting to watch what, what kind of reaction. Now, again, as you mentioned, potential candidate or, or candidate, uh, California is going through a recall election again, yet mm-hmm. again <laughs> uh, for Gavin Newsom. And, uh, and so, you know, that could be a motivating factor here. But at the same time, I'm glad that the issue is getting the kind of attention and, and conversation that it should, because you never know where you might be and find yourself in a situation where this impacts your community. Mm-hmm. Rob, how much more before the kids are out for summer vacation in your neck of the woods? Uh, well, it'll be mid-June, so we've got oh, a little bit okay. of time here um, before before that happens. But, uh, you know, we, um, we're we going to have a strong finish uh, to the end of the year. Uh, this is, uh, uh, for my oldest, uh, sixth grade. So, you know, it's that, <laughs> that year when, uh, when they'll be graduating and moving on to, to middle school. I remember that time myself. And so, uh, you know, it's been a challenging year in, with regard to, to education, as we've been talking about, Bill. But it, I'm so grateful that they – have the opportunity to be back in the classroom uh, with friends. I think that the thing that stands out, just like us adults need that social interaction, our kids really need it as well. Yeah, absolutely they do. And I remember, Rob, when we were getting into seventh grade, we bought new jeans and we had to break them in ourselves. (laughs) You didn't buy these broken in jeans that already have strategic holes in them? Come on. You bought new jeans. I don't don't understand all that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it either. Rob, thanks so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Bill. You too. You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal, and my go-to guy in Washington, D.C. Take a little break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Crystal Ribble. Talk about a fun name to say right there, Crystal Ribble. She's written a book called What's Loving Me in the Waiting. That's what's coming up next. 
Author Crystal Ribble writes about the subject that really none of us really like to think about very much, and that's waiting. I'm not talking like waiting for a table at the restaurant or waiting for the exterminator to show up, but that time when you are waiting for God, when you are in God's waiting room, and maybe God is teaching us a life lesson. That's something really, really important. So... Crystal's written this book called Love Me in the Waiting, and she uh, is my guest right now on the studio line. Crystal, welcome. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding? You got a nice endorsement from, from, from Scott Sauls. I love Scott Sauls. <laughs> he's wonderful, isn't oh, he? Oh, my, I love him. Yes, he's great. I love him, too. Yeah. So, all right, let's get down to the bottom of this. You wrote, wrote a book about Love Me in the Waiting. That sounds personal, Crystal. Yeah. Well, it definitely started that way for me. Um, the idea came from a couple different personal experiences, the first of which was um, when my husband and I were adopting our oldest son. And that process was really long. It didn't look like all of my other friends that were having babies. And um, it wasn't just this straight path to a child. And so we had lost several adoptions before we brought him home. And then, you know, and then by the time he came home, for me, that was about the length of three pregnancies. And so I remember during that time feeling just very lonely. I didn't have anyone else in my life very close to me that was adopting in that time. And so um, I just felt like I needed so much for my community, but I didn't know how to tell them Mm. what I needed. And so that's when this message started brewing in me. And then over time, um, there, there was a period of time where I was a college minister and I had many students that I would counsel about that time in between graduating college and starting your adult life and just how long and arduous that can kind of feel at times um, and, and also how lonely that can feel. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then most recently, and it, it kind of worked out to where I was writing the book while we were going through the beginning steps of this, but our son that I was mentioning, um, he currently has a brain tumor. And so we've been walking this path of waiting for his healing. And again, that is, it's long and it has changed directions a couple of times. You know, oftentimes we think we're going to start waiting for something and it's very linear. This is the beginning and that's the end, but that's not really how it works. So, so yeah, it was kind of personal for me. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is, um, how does Crystal get loved in this waiting period? Because you felt alone and a little bit on the margin. And that's right. that's a powerful motivator. So there's going to be a lot of people interested in hearing more about this. So you have a very touching dedication to your parents. What did they teach you? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have always said that I feel like faith comes easy to me, just having faith that the Lord's going to take care of me. And that comes directly from my mom and dad. And um, they're both people of faith. And my dad has been a a minister for many years. And I remember growing up in time, even when things were very uncertain, they just always seemed very steady. Um, I talk a little bit in the book about my dad 
and just like his steadiness and his certainty um, when the Lord was asking him to do something. And while I'm sure behind closed doors with my mom, he would question things and worry and things like that. He just always showed me this faith that no matter what, the Lord was going to take care of you. And so when I thought about the message of of this book and what I was trying to portray, um, they came to mind as some heroes Mm -hmm. of mine that, that have waited well. Yeah. Are they truly devoted parents like they're listening to their daughter on live radio right now? (laughs) They probably are. Well, let's, let's say hi to them. What are their names? Um, hi, Mom and Dad. Their, their names are Tom and Brenda Tucker. Hey, Tom and Brenda. So glad you're listening. Your daughter's doing great. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the different ways God shows up while we wait, because that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and maybe there's something more he wants to show us in these times of waiting. So maybe can yeah. you give us a couple examples of, of waiting that, that made an impact? Yeah, so in the book, I I go through 10 different stories in the Bible where someone waited, and I try to pull the different nuggets out of it that I think the Lord's showing us. And some of the themes that you'll see kind of in several of the chapters are like one of them, which is kind of an overarching thing, I think, is, um, is that when we're waiting, oftentimes we're waiting for an end. But I think if we change our perspective and instead of waiting for the end of whatever this season is, whatever this thing is, if we instead of waiting for the end, if we if we look for Jesus in it, um, it changes our perspective. So there's so many things that I think I would miss if I wasn't trying to find the Lord throughout even just this personal time that I'm going through now with my son. I'm looking for the Lord to show up. I'm looking for where he is and what he's trying to show me during this time, because I don't know when the end is Mm -hmm. and I don't want to miss him in in the midst of this. And so I show that in a few of the different stories, how it would change things if we were looking for him the whole time. Crystal, one of the first things I do when I get a book sent to me is I kind of thumb through it, looking for how much scripture is in the book. And that's, that's my first point of interest. If there's a lot of scripture, then I'm going to take a second look at it. And when I page through your book, a lot of scripture in it. So yeah. um, let's talk about a, a couple of scriptural examples from your book and and what lessons of faith uh, in the waiting that they taught you. Yeah, sure. Well, um, there's a couple of them that well, what's interesting is when I wrote the book, there were certain ones that stood out. But then over time, you know, as my life has changed and as our journeys have continued to to go, especially with our son, um, there's more of them that, that pop out to me. And so one of those that is very prominent in my mind right now is the story of Moses. And um, when I talk about that, that one, I talk about waiting in the wilderness. And it can seem kind of nebulous. Everyone's wilderness is something different. Um, whenever I say that word, you're going to think of something different than what I would think of. Um, but Moses' story is so encouraging to me, especially where I'm at right now, because I I call what he had this deep faith pointed in one direction. Even the scripture says about him in the end when he passes away that um, his eyes were undimmed and he was unabated. So the intensity that he had in his faith and in what the Lord had asked him to do was the same the day the Lord asked him to do it as the day he died. And his one of the things that's really hard for us to, to think about and wrap our mind around is the Lord called him to have faith to lead the people of Israel to the promised land. 
and he called him to have the faith to do this, and it would outlive him. And so it's been, you know, with this journey that we're on, I, with, with our son's health, um, I don't know what the end looks like. And I feel like the Lord has called me to just, just have faith, have faith that even, even if it outlives you, you may not live to see what I do with all of this. And, and that's the story with so, so many of these stories that I wrote about. Um, there's so much that happened beyond their life, you know. Crystal, what you're telling us is so raw right now. Yeah. Because um, I, I think there's a lot of people in your situation would feel a deep sense of panic. What is the yeah. end result? I need to know now. I need to know where this is <laughs> yeah. going. It's real hard to sometimes be still and wait upon the Lord, like it says in Psalm forty-six, eleven. Mm, yeah, that's the human side of us, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Because, because it's not a matter of if you're going to be waiting; it's what are you waiting on now? Because everybody's right. there. Right. It's so true. I mean, it's it's that thing of if you're not currently waiting, you will be, or you just finished waiting for something. Like it's just a never-ending cycle. Yeah. I mean, when are you not waiting for something? I mean, yeah, just think of the always. people in your life that don't know Christ yet as their Savior. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're speaking truth into their life. You're praying for them. You're waiting for that next opportunity to encourage them. I mean, you're always waiting. Right. So true. Yeah. But I appreciate the, the, the raw way in which you can talk about what's going on with your son. Because there's a lot of listeners that are in, the, in similar shoes. And when you're in that time of waiting... Uh, it's it's real hard to have perspective, isn't it? It is. It's so, definitely hard. Yeah. So you need to speak God's truth into your life, like all the time, and be encouraged <laughs> by others, like all the time, right? So how do right. we how do we love you in this time of waiting? Well, uh, at the end of the book, I give some examples of how you can show up for other people, and I think it's also a, a good tool to use if you need to educate other people how to show up for you. And I use the story of Mary and Martha waiting on Jesus to come and raise Lazarus from the dead. And there's so much that the Lord showed us in that story um, with his timing, with his silence. And so I use that story and I give some like lessons on loving someone in the waiting. Um, and, the, and so the first of that is showing up when the time is right. And and it, it's a very hard concept to, to get to because, um, you know, I want to be there at the drop of the hat for every single person in my life that needs me. And, and I've wanted that for our family. Like if we've, we've had desperate moments in this journey and I need people to just drop everything and be there. The reality of this, you know, I'm married. I have three boys. We have a fourth one on the way and they get the first parts of me. And so what Jesus showed us is that where he was with the disciples, he was doing an important work there. And it it didn't mean that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were any less important to him, but where he was, he was doing something very important. And so he was going to finish that work and then he was going to show up. And and I talk a little bit in the chapter when when I talk about them, and it's it's the last chapter called Waiting for the Resurrection. Um, how often we have those exact feelings that Mary and Martha had of, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Such and such wouldn't have happened. Someone wouldn't have died. I wouldn't have gotten sick, whatever the situation is. 
um, if you had been here. And yes, he can show his majesty in stopping something from happening, but how much more is that on display when he reverses something that mankind can't touch? Mm-hmm. And is, so it's, so I start with the lessons in, in loving someone and waiting with that. Show, you know, show up when you can. Then when you're there, be all there. When he was there, he was fully with them. He was fully engaged in that moment. And then I kind of just go on from there of giving some examples of things that you can do. Very helpful. Crystal Ribble is my guest. She's written a book called Love Me in the Waiting, Trusting God's Purpose When You're Longing for What's Next. After a short break, we'll be back. I've got lots more questions for Crystal. If you have one yourself, send it over, 877-933-2484. If you like email instead, you can email me, bill, at myfaithradio.com. with Crystal Ribble. She's written a book called Love Me in the Waiting, Trusting God's Response. Oh, I'm sorry, Trusting Perfect. God's Purpose When You're Longing for What's Next. So I was thinking about Jonah during the break, and God hmm. sends the storm, and then God sends the fish, and these are all things that were being used to preserve him. Yeah. So... When you're in that when you're in that storm of life, maybe God's preserving you, but that's kind of hard to get your mind around, isn't it? It is. Um, actually, man, Jonah is such a good story. I didn't I didn't write about Jonah, but man, I should have. Um, but I did I did write about Noah, and that's when I first talked about um, how the Lord might be preserving you through your storm. And this came to mind to me when when I was reading the story about how the Lord really valued who Noah was. He loved who he was. And that was part of the reason that he was chosen for this task of, of building the ark and then his whole family being preserved inside of the ark. And it just got me to thinking that oftentimes, like we will we'll reach a storm in life, we'll reach something that's really difficult to go through. And we just think we have to weather it. Like, I just got to get through this. I don't know what kind of shrapnel is going to be on me when I get out, but whatever, I just have to get through it. But sometimes that's not really it. It's that the Lord is kind of suspending you in this waiting period because he really loves who you are and he, and you need to be that person on the other side of the storm. And that was Noah's story. And that was Jonah's story. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So when I, when I think about waiting and I, and I don't think anybody really likes it is, do you think it's a season or it's just a steady diet? I know we talked about this a little bit before the break, but um, maybe some seasons are worse than others. But isn't don't we always kind of live in the waiting period of some kind? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's a steady diet, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, there are going to be some seasons that are more intense. Obviously, you know, I mean, this this period of time with our son's help, this has not always been the reality. And the hope is that it won't always be the reality. But um, so this time is more intense than others would be. But I think in some aspects, you're always waiting for things. Um, 
you know, they, they talk about, or you hear people talk about the grass being greener. You want to wait for the grass to be greener and the skies to be clearer somewhere else. I think we all have that aspect of us all the time. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the end of the book. I'd love to get maybe a couple of more lessons on loving people in the waiting. Um, do you have another lesson or two you can share? Because I think this would be so encouraging for listeners today. Yeah. Yeah. So like I talked about before, you know, the first thing is showing up when the time is right. right. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. And then I talked about when you show up, be all there. Mm-hmm. And then um, the third one I talk about is grieving with them and just how Jesus shows us how he wept with them. You know, that verse has become so famous about Jesus weeping over Lazarus being dead. Um, but just grieve with that person, just silently. You don't have to say anything. Just be there with them during that time. And then the last thing I talk about is when the time is right, helping them to remove their grave clothes. And, you know, if you, if you do a deeper dive on, you know, Lazarus had these grave clothes and they removed them whenever he came out of the tomb, you know, those clothes are preserving you for death. And there are things that I think we do in our life that are similar to that. Um, and we just kind of think, well, this is this is a story, this is my life, and this is it. But when you come out of a period of time like that, there are these figurative grave clothes that you need to remove because you're moving into the future. You're moving into this new part of your life with the Lord. It's interesting that you talk about John eleven thirty. Is it thirty five or thirty six? That's the shortest verse in Scripture that said Jesus yeah. wept, and he was yeah. he was willing. Even though he knew what was going to happen next, he was willing to be comfortable enough to step into someone's discomfort and mm-hmm. just cry with them. And I always think that is so inspiring. And I ask myself, am I willing, am I comfortable to step into someone's discomfort? Because when you talk mm-hmm. about mourning with them and being present, that's a sometimes a, a risky adventure. It definitely is. And it's like you said, it's so uncomfortable. I, I, that was one of the things in the beginning of my journey, even thinking about writing this book is that the, the emotions I was having and the things that I was going through are not necessarily comfortable for a lot of people to get close to. And I I think that's why we don't sometimes move towards people when they're either in the margins or they feel like they're in the margins, um, because we don't really know what to do. We don't know what to say. So I talk about just companionable silence and how um, I, sometimes I don't need your words and I don't need all all the different things. I don't need you to say the right thing. I just need your presence. And that's what the that's what Jesus did for Mary and Martha that day. He he just gave them the gift of his presence and was able to just be there and grieve. That's such an important reminder always. Because you sit and think, well, what, what am I going to be able to say to this person? And you're trying yeah. to run through Scripture, and you're trying to think of things that you could share that might be meaningful. And maybe you, you show up and shut up. Right. Yeah, it's true. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So writing this book, Crystal, what uh, what surprised you the most? I, You know, every single chapter there was something surprising <laughs> me the most, honestly. Um, when... It, it to me, it's just such a privilege to be able to go through these different stories and dive in, into them deeper and, and figure out what it is that the Lord's trying to show to show me. And I think one of the surprising things was some of them were easier to write about than others. 
And that was just from my perspective, you know, like some, some of these waiting seasons that I wrote about, the Lord brought about things that were really personal to me. And then other ones, it felt like, you know, maybe I haven't gone through something that's similar to this. So it was a little bit easier to write. Um, so that was probably the most surprising thing. Mm-hmm. How have your patients been with medical care providers regarding your son? Oh, um, how, how has my what? Say your that patients been. Your patients. Oh. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually feel like it's been really well. And that's because the Lord has sent us amazing people to take care of him. Um, it's honestly, it's like if, if he was going to be anywhere in the world, I'm glad that we are where we are. We've, we've just been surrounded by the most amazing doctors. And so, um, it's not easy, but it has been made easier by the people that we've been surrounded by. Yeah, that's lovely. So I know there's lots of listeners today that are in the waiting zone and some are doing good and others aren't. And Mm -hmm. maybe there's a number of suggestions or ways that you can encourage them to help them today in this very hour. Yeah. My, my biggest encouragement is to start expecting God instead of expecting the end. Um, I think even if you feel like you can't see him in the midst of what's happening right now, one, just know that he's there. Even if you don't feel him right now, know that he's there, but start praying, Lord, show me where you are and show me what you want me to learn and glean from this time. What is the purpose of this time? Like start asking him those questions. And I believe he will start showing you. He will show you where he is and you'll start to feel a little bit more in peace, at peace in such an unpeaceful time. Mm -hmm. Crystal, when you are in this waiting season, particularly now with your son, do you find that your prayer life is um, better or a little weaker? I, I feel like it's better, but it also can be different. Yeah, um, weaker wasn't the right word. Um, yeah. Sometimes you're overwhelmed and you yeah. you find yourself almost unable to pray at times. Yes, and that that is actually what I was going to say, is okay. that I sometimes don't feel like I have words for things, especially each time that we've received some news that's been even more difficult to, to swallow than the news before. Um it's sometimes like, Lord, I don't even know what to ask of you. And we even had, we had an instance like about 10 weeks ago with something that had happened with him. And I was just, I was on the floor just weeping and I just felt so helpless. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, I I wanted to say things. I wanted to like utter things to the Lord, but he knows what's in my heart. So even if I can't get those words out, if I can't physically say them, um, he knows what's in my heart. And so I think that's where my prayer, prayer life feels different because um, I don't always know what to say. I don't always know what to ask for other than just fall at his feet, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Crystal, really nice to meet you. It's been uh, a very—you've um, given us a lot to think about, and you've encouraged me for sure, and I know you're, you've encouraged others. So, Thank you. Ribble, what a great last name. What was your name before Ribble? It was Tucker. So Crystal Tucker went to Crystal Ribble. Mm-hmm. I like That's Crystal right. Ribble better. Yeah. I was worried at first that it rhymed too much, but I think it's pretty good. I think it's really nice. So let me just let my listeners know 
The name of Crystal's book is Love Me in the Waiting, Trusting God's Purpose When You're Longing for What's Next. Crystal, thank you so much, and have a great rest of the day. Thank you for having me. You bet, Crystal. So I want to let all of our listeners know as well, in addition to some really good books, we've got a whole bunch of books by Andy Stanley to give away called Fields of Gold. It's kind of this month's giveaway, and we've got a generous amount of copies. So we've got uh, a bunch, and we'd love to get one in your hands. If you want to, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can uh, go try to get one of those great books. So, And we also have got the month of May. We've got Mother's Day coming up on, on Sunday. We just want to be always encouraging moms and stepmoms and mentors. And if you have a particularly as a special person you'd like to nominate, you can go do that today at MyFaithRadio.com. And there's still time for her to possibly win a very special Mother's Day gift set. How about that for cool? All right. Take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Marcus Bachman will be joining me for the full hour. And boy, do we have some interesting stuff to talk about. That's the tease. Be right back. In other words, I can't remember. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.